So I have a younger sister. She's my only sibling um, and she's great. I love her. She's about five foot one. Her driver's license has five foot two. So we'll split the difference five and a half. Um, and she's great. She is uh, one of my favorite people on the planet. And I counted a huge privilege that I get to be her older brother because she's a lot smarter than I am. She's a lot funnier than I am. And she just loves people way better than me. And so um, I just, I love having her as my little sister. Again, like I said, I counted a huge privilege to be her brother, but it hasn't always been uh, sunshine and rainbows with her. There were a lot of times where when we were kids, we would just be at each other's throats, quite literally. We would do little things that would annoy the other person. Um, I would, you know, eat her food out of the fridge or she would change the channel on the TV when she knew I was so into the game. Um, and so when I was when I was preparing this sermon, I texted her. I said, hey, is there anything, any funny stories you can remember of us and how we used to fight? And she proceeded to send me 20 straight text messages of all the things that I had done to her as a kid. And I felt horrible. Like I was like, man, I do not deserve your love and I do not deserve um, this friendship that we have. And she would keep, she kept going on and I was like, this is horrible. And at the very end of it, she ended off by saying, okay, don't talk to me anymore. I'm really mad at you. And so it hasn't always, it hasn't always been sunshine and rainbows, um, but I love her. But I was, as I was thinking over all the things that the 20 text messages that she sent me, I was thinking about our fights and everything that we would go through. And these, the fights and the arguments that we'd go through, they never really actually helped our relationship. They never did anything, right? We would always try and get the other person to understand our view or, or, or maybe submit to what we were thinking or, or just flat out understand and, and admit that they were wrong. These fights, they never really worked. See, all that would happen is we would go at each other until we either said something horrible and then just regretted it, or we would just exit and just, and just leave and, and not talk to each other for days, weeks on end. And so these fights never really worked. It wasn't really until she actually moved off into university and moved away that our relationship was able to really grow into what we have right now. And so maybe that is something that you've experienced. Maybe there's someone in your life that you're constantly at odds with that there's no way that everything about you two is so diametrically opposed, but for some reason you have to be in each other's lives and you just want them to understand this one thing. If they would just understand and get this into their head, that they would, that things would be okay and that maybe we would stop fighting, right? Maybe that's a, a neighbor in, in your neighborhood where you have to walk on eggshells because of something or a coworker that you just cannot stand and you have to work with them, but you just either are always fighting or, or just never seeing eye to eye. And so today we're in a series uh, or we're continuing a series called Detox. And, and I have the privilege of, of speaking through a passage in Luke that's titled, Love Your Enemies. And when I say that, and when I mention that to people and to some friends, they immediately res respond by saying, Brandon, I won't be there for that sermon. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not tuning in for that. And, and I get it. I get it. It's hard to talk about our enemies and, and people that we may oppose, right? Or that oppose us or have done us harm. It's hard to, to, to talk about those things, right? And, and maybe for some of you, those relationships are very draining or downright painful. And when I say enemies, that could be family members, right? We, we all know 
that there are, it, it is so easy for us to disagree with our families and maybe there's um, arguments or conflict that's been going on for years on years on years. And, and maybe, you know, you, you've tried to make it work. Maybe you've tried and, and there's hopes for you to reconcile, but you just can't see how it's going to play out and how it's going to work. And maybe for you, it's not necessarily uh, a person or someone alone, but a group or an idea that you just seem to combat against. It's something that you just cannot agree with. I think if, it, if the past two years have shown us anything, is that we can find so many things to divide us, right? Are you pro-vaccine mandate, anti-mask? Do you support minority inclusion? Are you right-wing, left-wing? Like there are so many things just in this past two years that I have been uncovered that can divide us and create enemies out of things that maybe don't really need to be dividing us, right? It's so easy to find things to fight over. Even to the point that the person that is so conflict averse, the person who just loves, who, who doesn't want to fight and, has, and likes to stand at the sidelines, even they have been drawn into battle and they have had to choose a side. And yes, I mentioned it's been the past two years, but this has been something going on for ever since mankind has came into existence, right? Cain and Abel. We've seen people, mankind versus mankind, always finding something to, to hate on whether to hate on one another we make it so easy to create enemies and you know sometimes it makes sense right if someone does something wrong to you right you don't it, it's normal to want to keep them away right to combat them it's our it's our human instinct it makes sense right it's self-preservation it's self-preservation when someone harms us our human instinct is to want to protect ourselves and so how do we do that we fight or flight, right? We either go back at them or we with, withdraw from them. But see, the problem is that we start to build up walls and weapons to the point that we don't see them as humans anymore. And we start to buy into this culture of, of us versus them, right? We no longer see them as a creature or as a human being, as a, as a, a creation of God made in the image of God in Mago Dei. We no longer see them as that, but instead just by the wrongdoing or the opposing view that they have over us. You know, what's funny is, is um, if, you, if you don't believe me, um, all you have to do is, is look at your social media accounts, right? If you, if you have social media, it is so easy for us to see people divide themselves based on what they may think or believe, right? And, and oftentimes we talk, we talk about how social media is, is bad for young people, like it's dangerous for them. Gen X, you're no better. Like you're no better at this because when it comes to social media, it's so easy for us to sit in our living rooms, right? And, and just and, and open up our laptops, open up our phones and just start hating people, right? Bashing people, right? It's so easy for us to do all these things and never have to look someone in the eye. And can I be frank? I think Christians are sometimes the worst at this. I'm a part of a, of, of a couple um, youth ministry Facebook groups, and it is so common to see us tear one another down. We're literally on mission together. We're doing the same thing. We're going after students together, and yet we're in the comments belittling one another on, on just how they may choose to operate their youth ministry. And if you don't have social media, God bless you. God bless you, but all you have to do is look at the news. Right? News outlets literally have segments 
where we watch people duke it out on TV for no reason. Like it doesn't go anywhere. No one is educated anymore. It's just we see people fight one another and, and destroy one another uh, uh, over the air. I would, I would say that we actually even enjoy it a little bit, right? Like that's why we watch shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians where we just watch sisters and family members fight one another, right? We maybe enjoy the, the, the arguing and, and, and the hating of one another, right? It's, it's a little bit entertaining for us. But church, that's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how this world was designed. And, and sometimes we let that seep into our church. And it's easy for us to let us as Christians um, let this, this culture of us versus them and, and wanting to combat one another seep into the church where we start to build up walls and, and divide one another over different things. I, he- I heard a funny story of a church that was um, trying to uh, change up their worship style and trying to go a little bit more contemporary where they might have been more traditional back in the day. Um, and so they brought in a new worship leader and, and it was it was great, they're really excited and he wanted to try to do some more contemporary music. And with that meant he did one of the most horrible things you could do at a traditional church. And he brought in a drum set. He brought in a drum set, and I know that's horrible. It's horrible, horrible. How could you imagine worshiping God with cymbals? But he brought in this drum set, and it started to uh, be an uproar, and, and the people um, were arguing over whether or not should have, they should have the drum set there, whether or not they should um, um, be moving into this new style of worship, and it was a huge uproar, up to the point that someone actually broke into the church in the middle of the night and stole that drum set. Or, um, I don't know if this is actually true. I heard this a really, really long time ago when I was in youth and, and a youth pastor came in and visited and he shared this story about how a church literally divided because half the church believed that Jonah was swallowed by a whale and the other half of the church believed that it was a big fish. Like this was the central issue for them that they needed to split their congregation. Like what? Like, why are we choosing these things to divide us? Why are we buying into this culture of us versus them and forgetting that we are all made in the image of God and we do dumb things and create enemies so that we can hurt one another? So we're in this series of detox and, and, and we, we're using this series to prepare us for Easter and to kind of remind ourselves and, and clear ourselves of any patterns in our hearts that are really that are hardening our hearts and not helping us look more like Jesus. And in today's passage, um, I believe we need to detox from two things. We're in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. And I believe as, as I was reading, as we, as, we, as we get into this passage, I believe there are two things, two hurdles that we need to climb over in order for us to detox. And those two things are avenging and exiting avenging and exiting. So let's read. Luke chapter six, verse 27 starts like this. But I say to you who hear, pause right there. This is everyone. This is everyone. Christian, Jew, everyone. Everyone needs to hear this. If you are listening, if you hear my words, whether or not you believe what we believe, everyone needs to hear this. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And let me just pause again right there. That word cheek is from the word siagon. 
which is rather actually meant more for the jaw. And so when Jesus is talking about um, being slapped in the cheek, he actually is referring to something much more harsh. He's actually getting punched in the jaw. And so he's picturing more than just like a one-sided slapping battle. It's something, it's, it's someone actually really attacking you and going at you. And it's meant to represent a lot of pain. Jesus continues by saying this, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do to them as well. The first thing we need to detox from is avenging, right? The first thing we need to do is stop this this need to fight back and provide our own brand of justice. It's And it's normal for us to want to fight back. Like I said, it's this natural instinct in us to want to preserve and to, and, to, and to protect ourselves. But I think Jesus wants us to push back on that and show us another way. He wants us to respond instead of hate, but in love. And it's right there at the beginning. He talks about how we are called to love our enemies. And, and it's something that is so countercultural, so shocking, right? It doesn't make sense, right? Because we know inside of us that we should protect ourselves. But now you want us to love, like doesn't make sense. That kind of goes against every, almost every fiber in our being. That person that you can't stand, the person that just doesn't get you, get you, the person that may have cheated you, harmed you, we're called to love that person. Church, let me make a little bit of a pause here because I want to make a strong point and, and emphasize one thing. The, the passage uses the word abuse. And I want to make sure that we're very clear here that this is not a sign to let someone continue to abuse you, right? Please hear me out. If there is someone in your life that is maybe taking advantage of you or har- or harming you in any way, please get help. Please understand that that is not okay. That it's not something that is, is your fault and that you should just have to accept it. That is not okay. You do not deserve this. This is message really isn't for you. Please reach out. Tell someone you know that loves you and, and there is help here at Bayview. There are different ways that you can reach out to us, right? If you're watching this live, you can comment or, or reach out to someone asking for prayer and someone will be able to help you. Or you can always email us, head over to our website. There's so many ways that you can reach out to Bayview and Bayview will do our best in every way that we can support you. But please understand that this is not a message to allow yourself to be under the, the, the abuse that you may be faced. Please don't let yourself sit in that abuse, know that you are loved and that there is hope. Going back to the passage, the Christian's first reaction to hate is not to be more hateful, right? To come up with a better argument, to come up with a better point, to do more research so you can combat them, but it's of love. Our first reaction, our underlying baseline emotion is to love this person. We need to detox from this idea of avenging and be people of affection. We need to move from avenging and wanting to get back at that person so that they know how wrong they are, that they know how much pain that they put us through and move into this maybe unorthodox, countercultural way of affection where we truly look at them and have affection for them and love for them and remind ourselves that these people 
although we don't get along, although they may have cheated, stealed, stolen from us, that they are loved by God and they are called, that we are called to love them as well. There's another A word that I could have used there instead of affection. It's agape, right? And that's what this word love actually originally was translated from, right? It's this unconditional love that no matter what the person may do, who they are, that we are called to love them unconditionally. The second hurdle that we need to jump over is exiting. See, somewhere along the lines, Christians have believed that it's okay. Well, I just won't avenge them. I, I, I just won't attack them. I won't clap back. I won't outright hate them. I won't say anything negative. I'm just going to leave them alone. I'm going to exit from this relationship. But just to show you how countercultural Jesus was asking us to be, he wasn't just asking us to stop hating our enemies, but to actually be more active and to do good to them. Not to just be passive and, and to exit from it, but to do good to them. In verse 31, it, it's uh, often referred to as the golden rule. Right? You may have heard it as that. And it's that to treat others the way you want to be treated, right? We tell our kids all the, all the time, treat others the way that you would want to be treated. And that's where this comes from out of verse 31. But take this in. Before Jesus said this, the common language for the original listeners to hear was actually the negative of the golden rule, right? Oftentimes in, in old Jewish scriptures or in just like in, in the culture, the way that they would say this was not treat others the way you want to be treated, but was don't do to others what you would not want done, would you what you would not want done to yourself? For example, in old Jewish scripture, the book of Tobit or Tobias, chapter four, verse fifteen, says this: "Do to no one what you want, what you yourself hate. Do to no one what you yourself hate." See that it often takes the negative approach. So they would have heard this: "Well, just don't do to others what you would have hated." Don't do, don't do to others what you would have hated done to yourself. But Jesus flips the script on that and he pushes us to go even further, but to do good and to be active in our love. Not to just abstain from hate, but to move actively to love our enemies. In other words, we need to move from exiting to embracing. To move away from this idea of, well, I'm just going to leave them alone. I'm just going to not do the bad things but to be active in our love for them and to go and embrace them. And it might quite literally mean giving them a hug and embracing them, but it might look different for you. It might look like engaging in a relationship again. It might mean talking to them. Scripture says here, to, it, mean, it might mean to bless them, to pray to them. It might even mean to give to them. Not just when, we des not just when they deserve it, not when we feel like, okay, you know what, I think... They, they've served their time or, or they, they, I think they understand. Now I'm going to love them. Not just when you agree with them. We as Christians are called to demonstrate a love that simply doesn't make sense. That simply doesn't make sense. It goes against every fiber of our being, like I said. Because it would be so much easier, right? It would be so much easier to keep our distance. And I know a lot of us, that's where we're at right now. We've decided to... Um, abandon that relationship we've decided to you know what ghost them that's it they're dead to me it's over right but jesus wants us to move past and detox from that version of hating our enemies and to be active in our love not just passive
instead of running and exiting the relationship to embracing the other person. And that, like I said, that might actually mean giving them a hug. It might mean serving them. It might mean encouraging them and saying nice things about them. And for some of us, it might mean telling you, telling them that you forgive them. That it might mean that you talk to them and say, I forgive you for whatever they have done. Even before they may ask for forgiveness. Because that's the kind of love Jesus is talking about here. It's agape. It's unconditional. It's active. It's embracing. Let me pause right here. And, and if I were to guess how some of you are feeling right now, it would be uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, right? It's uncomfortable to think about this love that's, that's not fair. This person has hurt me. This person, you don't know the things that they've done to me. Brandon, why? Brandon, why would we be this kind of person? Why would I love so recklessly? So why would I put myself out there again and be vulnerable just so I could get hurt again? Like, why? Like, why can't we just fight back? And I'm sure the readers of, of, the, early, of the early church, as they were hearing this or reading this, would have thought the same thing. See, for them... The early Christians that were reading this passage, they were their enemies were the Romans, right? For them in that day and time, day and age, it would have been um, very hard for them to believe what they believed. For them to call themselves followers of Christ, to believe that Jesus, Jesus was their Messiah, it could mean really bad things for them. It could mean death. It could be being thrown into prison. It could be really harmful to them and their family. And so that's what they were going up against. And so then for them to hear um, this passage, for them to hear this um, read over them or to read it, and, you, and I could imagine them saying, well, you want me to do what? That doesn't seem fair. I'm literally risking my life believing what I believe. And now you want me to go out of my way to love these people, the Romans, people that are oppressing me? No chance. There's no chance. Why would I do that? And I get it. And maybe that's what you're experiencing right now, where you're just uncomfortable and, and this is something, you know, Brandon, I'm just going to tune out now. I get it. But, you know, it's really funny how God works because a couple weeks back, um, while I was writing this sermon, a student reached out to me. He sent me a text. He said, Brandon, I need your help. And so we, we, we spoke and, and he seemed distressed. And I, I've been journeying with this student for a while now and I've known the things he's gone through. Um, he's had a very, very tough life, tougher than most people go through. He lost his father at a very young age, and he, and he tried different things to, to cope with that. And so I knew going into this call, it was going to be a difficult one, right? I knew it was going to be difficult. I knew that there were going to be things that I wouldn't understand, I'd feel like I was lacking in. But I, I, we talked, and he began to open up to me about his mom. Right. Long story short, he was telling me about how much he was frustrated. Right. And, and if you've grown up in a single parent home, you know just how much more important that one parent is. They, they need to be your rock. They need to be your everything. And that relationship becomes the, one of the most important relationships that you now have. And so when that relationship is no longer a safe place, I get how he was feeling. He felt isolated. He felt like there was no one for him, nowhere for him to go to. 
he explained how alone he felt and how hurt he was from experiencing the things that his mom would say to him, the way that she would treat him and act. And I'll be honest, I struggled again with how, how to counsel him in this. But as we talked through it, I was able to walk him through how to love his mom. To remind him that we are called to honor our father and mother. That even though this person might not be loving you in the way that you need to be loved, caring for you in the, the way that you may be cared, we're still called to honor them and love them. And, but he responded like how many, many of you may feel, and he didn't think it was fair. He already said, well, that's not fair because I'm going to put myself back out there and I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get burned. Like this person is supposed to be my rock, my support. This person, but now this person is giving me the most grief, the most pain. How am I supposed to love them? Like it doesn't seem fair. Why should I do this? Why does Jesus want us to react this way? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to, to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who, whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. So the first reason we do this is to separate ourselves from sinners. We love our enemies because it's what they wouldn't do. It goes against our human instinct. But how powerful a display would it be for us to love like this? When the rest of the world is combating against one another, fighting over left wing, right wing, how much more powerful would it be for us to step into that and just love? Love with reckless abandon. Love when it doesn't make sense. Love when the person just five minutes ago was bashing your name to go above and beyond what is expected and what someone might be deserving of and to do good to those who may be your enemy. See, because it's easy for us to love our friends. That's what this passage just said. It's easy for us to love the people that we get along with, that stand on the same side of the line as us. It's easy to love those people, but it doesn't actually solve anything, right? You know this, all it does is add fuel to the fire. I have to think about all the groups that I see on social media, people egging each other on about their stance over what topic, whatever topic they, they may believe. It's, it's sad because all you do is, is you get now you get puffed up and arrogant and you think that you're right, but all, you're not really solving anything. You're just telling other people what you already, that already agree with you, what you believe. It just becomes an echo chamber of people just saying the same things in different ways. Jesus asks, you ask yourself, Jesus wants us to ask ourselves, what's the point? What's the point of doing this? Right? If we really want to make change in others, in the world, in ourselves, then we have to love uncomfortably. I came across this article, and maybe you've, you've heard stories similar to this. It's about an older couple who was awakened to some horrible news. Um, their daughter was killed in a car accident just weeks before her 24th birthday. And, and long story short, she got into a car after, after a late night um, with a young man um, who went too fast and hit something and ended up flipping the car. The hard part is that that young man 
was able to, to walk away from the crash and the young lady wasn't. And so when the parents got the news around 6 a.m. in the morning, um, you can imagine, especially parents listening to this, how livid they would have been, right? Any sensible parent would have been so mad. There would have been so many emotions coming at them all at once. And there were, even the dad mentions in, in the article how badly he wanted to kill this guy how badly he wanted him to feel the pain that he had caused his family. But instead, the mother and father responded differently. They forgave him. They forgave the young man. They went out of their way to invite him over, literally embraced him, gave him a hug, and told him that he was forgiven. See, how powerful is, how powerful is that? It's not clear how the young man responded to that. He did end up going on to do some really good things. He now has a family and is able to give back and love people. But I can only imagine how moving it must have been for him in that moment. To be met with an embrace and not fists, it does something. And, and the father says this, when, when, he, when he first uh, saw the young man approach him, he said, mercy and compassion just came to me at that moment. I let the blame and bitterness go. So what's even crazier with, the, with, with how this family reacted is that um, they took their love a step further. They, they took it a step further because they realized that this young man wasn't going to have a place to live. He was being put on trial and is facing prosecution. And so instead of allowing him to just you know deal with it himself, they actually invited him into their home. They welcomed him into the home. They cooked together, walked went on walks together. They even built a case together as to how to keep him out of jail. See, that is love. That is a radical love. That's a love that we are called to enact on our enemies. That's the love that Jesus is asking us to show. And it isn't easy. I'm sure there are moments, uh, or I'm sure this went against the parents' instincts. But I think that they knew there was something better. That there was a greater reward. reward. The father who's a pastor, by the way, he said this, the true power of forgiveness is for the person who gives it, not just the person who receives it. Nothing would bring our daughter back, but forgiving him helped me heal. See, loving your enemies does wonders for the people around us. It might do wonders for them as well, but it also helps us heal inside. Right? When we love others, we let go of this need to fight back. We let go of the grudges. We let go of the hardness of our heart and it frees us. See, what happens is we free one another from this downward spiral of hate when we love them. We release ourselves from this need to avenge, to, to want to fight, to hold onto a grudge and we allow ourselves to heal. Forgiveness is not just for the other person, but for yourself as well. And so when you ask, why would I love like this? Because it doesn't seem fair. It's because the reward is so much greater. The reward we receive right now and in the future is so much greater. Let's finish it off saying this. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful 
even as your Father is merciful. Jesus wants us to remember that we have something so much better than revenge on the other side of glory. Now, to be clear now, this is not a justification. This is not what we need to do to be in right standing with God. We know that comes with faith, but that it's a reminder that we don't need to bring justice for ourselves. Famous verse, Romans 12, verse 19 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. See, we don't need to take up our own justice. We don't need to do this just anymore because we remember that God will make all things right. See, the Christian stance isn't to be just polite and sit idly by as people do wrong to us, but to have the confidence that it will all work out and that our response is simply to love. That we don't have to worry about the details. We don't have to worry about how justice will be served. That God that God just all he requires from us is to love. We can trust that God has our back, that we don't have to, we don't have to correct the things out of our own strength, but that God sees us. And so church, as I've been saying all these things and, and challenging us, who do you need to love? Who is your enemy? Who is the person that keeps coming back to mind as, as we've been going through this? this passage as we've been going through this sermon. Who is your enemy? As, a, as, I, as I've been speaking, I pray that the Holy Spirit um, is stirring up a name or two or three or four or five in your heart that he wants you to love. And, and I'll be honest, it's not easy preaching this, right? I know for myself that I'm going to be hit twofold with this. And so I am cognizant of the people that I have set up walls and, and created weapons that I want to attack with. I'm cognizant of that. And I know that I'll be judged even harder, but I'm reminded that this is what is required of the Christ follower. It's not just a, suge a suggestion, but something that he is requiring of us to go out and to love our enemies, not to sit idly by, not to twiddle our thumbs, but to actively go out and find the people that are maybe oppressing us, that are opposing us, that may speak poorly of us, and to love them, to detox from hate and to move towards love, to move, to move from avenging to affection, to move from exiting to embrace. That might mean taking a coworker to lunch that you just cannot get along with. It might mean engaging in a conversation that you've been avoiding and, and dreading for a really long time. It might mean picking up the phone and calling that brother or sister that you haven't talked to in years. It's tough. And you don't know how they're going to respond. You don't know how they will take it. And, and I'll be honest, I don't know if it's all going to work out. I don't know if you'll get to see the fruit of this, of, of this love and, and maybe a, a restored relationship that you may be hoping for. I don't know that. And I don't know if maybe we'll read an article just like we, we read or I, I, I read today about how you're able to reconcile. But, and, and, and I do pray that's how that story goes, but the results aren't up to us, right? The justice is not up to us. I mentioned the student earlier about how they're having a rough time with their mom. Um, after we talked it through, I gave him some action steps that I want to share with you. I told him that every day, first thing, before you say anything to your mom, to say, how can I make your day better today? 
how can I help you today? What's one thing that I can do to help, to love you, to serve you today? Before you start fighting, before you bicker, before any of the resentment is allowed to come out, ask her how you can help her. And, and I told her that, I told him that she may not say anything. She may have a snarky remark, right? Or maybe she might even choose this as an opportunity to lash out. And, and the, it, there, there could be a lot of reactions that come out of this. But I want you to start with love. Because we can't control how someone else is going to behave. I think we know that. We can't control other people's actions. We don't control people's hearts. That's not our job. We don't change people's hearts. God does. But what we can do is control our actions and start with love. And so my challenge for you this week, church, is whatever relationship, whatever person, a group, whatever it is that you know is your enemy or is combating against you, start with love. Start with love. Before you put on your, your boxing gloves, maybe start by putting on your oven mitts. Maybe it means baking something for that neighbor that you don't get along with and giving that to them. How can you start with love? In church, I love how Luke ends it here in verse 36. He says, be merciful as your father is merciful. We show mercy not only because of what God wants us to do, but because he was merciful to us. Uh, I heard an author say this once, that God's baseline emotion towards us is mercy. That's where he starts with us, is mercy. And so, can I remind you that you yourself are not so innocent? Like, we like to play the victim and, and use that as a reason as why our justified, our anger is justified. Right? But you, too, we're opposed to God. You too, we too are sinners. We too hurt people. We too fall short of the glory of God. But we too have received God's mercy. First John chapter 4, verse 19, I'm going to end with this. He says, we love because he first loved us, loved us. And so that's the motivation at the end of the day. That's how we do this love that just seems so reckless, that doesn't make any sense, because he loved us first. Jesus loved us first. We didn't deserve God's mercy. We didn't deserve his grace. We deserved the wrath that was coming for us. But God showed us mercy in sending his son to die in our place to be the ultimate sacrifice. And so as we head into this Easter season, let's be reminded of that. Let that be the example of love that we strive towards. Happy detoxing. <laughs>